talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome once again to more like The Worst Wing, the show where in 2019 we take a deep look at Aaron Sorkin's seminal TV series, The West Wing, with a little bit of a socialist spin, so to speak. I'm your first host, Stu. And I'm your other host, Dave. And today we are going to be discussing what is actually a crucial episode in the show's canon entitled 17 People. Yes. This is... Toby Ziegler's Galaxy Brain Day, where <laughs> basically the crux of the dramatic tension that underpins the entire rest of the series regarding, spoiler alert, President Bartlett having multiple sclerosis is ruled out, or not ruled out, is worked out in real time by somebody who he has essentially hidden his condition from. And right. this happens mainly in the cold open, which Dave was uh, yeah, excited so to talk okay. about this week. Let's dive into this cold open. So we get so uh, the recap shows us our our scene from last week where uh, Hoynes is you know given his stupid like Toby the total tonnage of what I know could stun a herd <laughs> yeah. of oxen, and it, you know it sets us up for like what is what does Hoynes know that Toby doesn't know, and so we cut to Toby's office and he's doing the thing that. He's done a couple times before with the bouncing of the rubber ball up against the wall. As, like, you know, we've often seen him doing this when he's having, like, trouble with a big speech or is trying to figure out, like, some crucial policy thing or what have you. It's like his fidget spinner. Yeah, exactly. This is the thing he does to to occupy his, like, body so his mind can be, like, free to come up with cool ideas. So he's he's going through this super intensely, and we just hear the thunk the thunk of the rubber ball and it's a really effective audio cue that they keep going throughout the cold open here but we get like you know night one and then you know <laughs> smash cut night two it's and like, using uh, title cards to describe yeah, it and it's it, it also it adds to and also lessens the impact of toby's discovery when you piece it all together and realize it took him six nights like almost a full week (laughs) to figure it out now to be fair to toby's credit later on in the episode he says i have no investigative mind at all and even i figured it out in six six nights so i guess you know toby's really bad at piecing this kind of shit together but like even he figured it out is the implication Um, implication he's supposed to be smart so i think it's really funny that takes him almost a week to to figure out what's going on for him, when when he finally comes around to it, it's also that like the Hoynes thing was so blatant, right? Like, <laughs> like super it's like you're obvious. literally you're literally telling Toby to his face that he should look into this, like right? You so say, inter- yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. So intercut with all the the thunks and the thinking montage is him coming to Leo and asking a few questions about Hoynes, like why would Hoynes put a pole in the field? You know, why would Hoynes volunteer to do this thing? Yeah. You know. If Hoynes was gearing up to run for president, wouldn't he be going to New Hampshire to deliver a speech about the high-tech <laughs> Northeast Corridor? And it's like, oh shit, he's doing exactly he's that. He's doing exactly like, that, yeah. It's like, well, no, he wouldn't be so blatant. He would hide it with some stupid trip. Oh, like a hunting trip? Oh, yeah. like that he's taking <laughs> up to fucking Kendleton or whatever for three days? And it's like, and so Toby is like quickly putting the pieces together. And then we smash cut to two nights later. The funk. The funk, and it's just kind of funny. Like it, it makes Toby seem dumb, kind of to me. Well, and so, and it's funny. It's actually, it's a deeper drama too, because the the fact that Hoynes is prepping to run for president, we it, are like, in and of itself does not tell exactly. us anything. And I think Correct. the audience, the audience is prepared. Other to than that. other than it's weird because you would expect Bartlett to run for a second term. For sure, you know, and also if you did, if you didn't know the MS the, stuff, the implied conflict is that well Hoynes is an asshole and that's why we're right. not supposed to like this like right exactly like oh <laughs> he's, he's just being, he's just being an asshole for asshole things he would do this if literally anyone was president he would just primary them because Hoynes is an asshole yeah like that is that's sort of that's the ex- explanation Leo tries to give Toby to basically throw him off the trail and so like that's what's happening during this cold open is Leo keeps trying to throw Toby off the trail and give benign sort of like plausible excuses for why Hoynes is doing this shit. And then so finally at the end of the cold open, 
we get Leo coming straight to the president and saying, we have to tell him. And like, and, and as we get, as we go into the credits, you hear the th thunk, the thunk of the rubber ball. And I think that bit in particular is a very effective use of kind of this montage of what I'll call the Eureka moment or the, the house 949 moment where <laughs> he, he stops throwing his ball into his cane and, and then looks up and to the left in, in a triumphant moment of figuring out exactly what's going on. And we've only got one more commercial break, and when we come back, Dr. House is going to explain everything. <laughs> exactly. Like, and so, so... Go ahead. Well, and then, after this cold open, the the episode then breaks down into... You get... Oh my god, and this, this drives me fucking crazy. You get this trite fucking, like, close-up of President Bartlett just kind of oh, going right. like... And now it begins. <laughs> <laughs> to literally no one. Like, Leo has just left the room. It's He's literally queen. talking to no one. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so then <laughs> the, the episode after the cold open sort of back and forth through here, it, it cuts quite quickly into two very specific segments that are woven back and forth. But literally, but when I talked to you beforehand, I was just like, Dave, this shit is... And you said, yeah, it gives me whiplash because... The Toby Leo president thing is some excellently crafted television. It's super good, super dramatic, and super, super fucking intense the whole time. There's, and, like, no score. Like, we get, like, super close-ups of our characters because everyone's, like, emoting super hard. But, like, in these nice, subtle ways, not in, like, the Calculon kind of way. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, and then, but then we fucking whip pan over to our other subplot, which is, uh, the White House correspondence speech isn't funny enough, you guys. We gotta make it more funny. Uh, let's all gather around a conference table with Chinese food and punch up some of these fucking jokes. Oh we my got god. Jokes and, uh, and jokes and jokes and jokes. <laughs> and it's like a street sweeper because Sam is Sam and Josh are looking at the shit and they're just like, I don't know, who else can we rope in, you know, to talk about it's the correspondence? Just, what, ca what characters do we want to have in this episode, everyone? I'll go find them. <laughs> It's like this was filmed over Labor Day weekend or something, and everybody's out of town. Ah, uh, shit. And so uh, like, uh, shit, can, can we get Emily Proctor? She's yeah. in town, right? Someone go grab her. We have, so we have her up, contracted for, like, six recurring episodes. I'm cashing one right. in. That's right. And so it ends up being, like, this awful, trite, like, and frankly, and I, I wrote this down, it's basically the White House correspondence dinner speech is, like, Aaron Sorkin's fucking Olympics. Let's be clear. This is, like... <laughs> The, the well, pinnacle of what he wants his craft His, his performance be. of it is equivalent to, like, hitting the first <laughs> hurdle and just eating shit. Because, <laughs> like, every, every punched-up joke we hear is fucking god-awful. Well, and so the, the emphasis on it is understandable from a Sorkin perspective, but what also is woven through this half of the episode is this fucking disgusting sexist garbage revolving both around the relationship of Josh and Donna mm -hmm. and that of not so much, but like a more, a more friendly professional cordial mm -hmm. relationship between Sam and Ainsley Hayes in the mm -hmm. context of the equal rights amendment. Yes. Uh, so yeah, well, we're going to break it, break down into each of these subplots extensively over the course of this episode. But that's the basic sort of plot synopsis is these two things keep happening. They don't really mix up until the end when Toby comes in to the, the punch-up meeting uh, but is still processing all the Bartlett stuff, and so he's kind of zoned out of it. And that's what we close our episode on is that image of kind of Toby trapped in his own head with all these thoughts. And in a way, this actually makes this episode extremely good because there is relatively yes. little. there's relatively little shitty faux liberal like yeah, fake they, politics they don't shit even going and on. they don't even attempt to you yeah. know yeah which is good like if you're not gonna even do it right then just ignore it and let's yeah, focus on bother. character drama you know yeah. and this is good character drama because it does have real stakes of like oh shit when when the public finds out and at this point it's clear that it's just a matter of when it's not a matter of if um, you know, what's the reaction going to be? And here's Toby's reaction in, as like a microcosm of what the public's reaction might be kind of yeah. thing. And I think staffs. at the end of the 
I think at the end of the day, that's why I was more okay with being on board with this episode, because it's finally, we've been conditioned for like 35 episodes now to have nothing of consequence ever happen. Mm -hmm. And this time around, finally, they devote the screen time and like the implication of the dialogue and the discussion to being like, this is legitimately bad. Right. We will be... Yeah, th this like, thing will happen and it will go badly for us. Yeah, to to, to put, go to your point, not only does nothing happen, shit, we had a shooting and effectively nothing happened. <laughs> no yeah. one died, you know, everyone's fine now, and it's effectively at, like nothing ever happened. Oh, He's lost his popularity bounce from it, you know, like yeah. it's, no gun control legislation <laughs> got passed, like nothing happened. You know, so you you make a good point of like we've been very conditioned for the run of this show to expect nothing to happen, and now it feels like shit is happening, like real shit that's going to have real consequences going forward in a yeah, big way. So we'll we'll dig into that uh, after a quick break. We'll start with the good part of the episode and close with the shitty part because holy crap! Yay! Yay! <laughs> So, we're going to dig in on the very well-crafted and executed portion of this episode first, because it was actually legitimately surprising to me. I wasn't um, really prepared to have anything more than a blasé reaction to this, because I've watched the whole series before, mm -hmm. and I know how this works out mm -hmm. eventually, but with sort of a, a fresh and a bit more skeptical look at it this time, it still holds up pretty well. Yeah. This portion of this episode and how they frame the Bartlett MS diagnosis coming out thing is really fucking good. I'll be, I'll be straight about it. Yes. Like, you know, hundred percent, a lot of time straight hating up. on the West wing, but this is really fucking good. Television. Yeah. It's all good. There's really like, I, I know we always love to gush about the actors, but for real, like particularly Richard Schiff and John Spencer, um, and, and of course, Martin Sheen all do like incredible work, uh, throughout these, this entire plot line and through these scenes of, you know, first off, like you say, Sheen does a great job of, like, explaining how it happened, you know, like, where he starts off with, okay, well, ten years ago, the first sign happened, and then eight years ago, another sign happened, and then before the State of the Union, I had an attack, and I have relapsing, remitting, multiple sclerosis and i have to give a dig here he slurs when he says yeah. the word sclerosis and i don't know if that's an intentional thing by the writers to be like oh don't you get it he's a little sick or like his, or, yeah, his... or b they just like they pick that take and they're like shit man we don't have one where he doesn't <laughs> slur the word it's a hard word to say to be fair yeah it is tough <laughs> so uh but I, I don't know i just like you know, it's the big dramatic bombshell line is, Toby, I have multiple sclerosis, and he slurs it a little, and I just can't yeah. help but pick up on it. <laughs> You'd be like, this is, this is the most important four words like, I will like say to you, myself. Surely you took, like, 50 <laughs> takes of that line and got yeah. one where, where he doesn't slur it, right? Or was or was yeah. it intentional, and I'm just not getting it. But anyway, the, uh, I don't know why that stuck on me. But uh, but it's oh. really good. Like it's really well done. Again, great acting work here. I really love um, John Spencer because like the whole time Leo is like studying Toby super intensely, like just looking for reactions and like looking to, like he's viewing Toby as like a test case for how this is going to play out with either the rest of the staff or sort of the country at large. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you know, in terms of caution, because President Bartlett is his friend, mm -hmm. but it's also like a thing where he's all he's always on, he's always working. Mm -hmm. Like even within within a very private meeting of three staff members, like Leo is gonna Leo. Right, he's already and thinking. We know that about. He's him. thinking down the line already. Yeah, and like I just again with the with how the president talks Toby through it. I just wrote down, like, I would do it like this. Yes. This is how I, I feel very personally connected. If I had a serious health condition, 
he he explains it and like you said he walks through like the timeline and the chronology of things that happened right, to him. like that's how a real person would that's how a re- exactly, exactly yeah not, that's, that's a real person yeah it's not a speech yeah. it's more it's more just like this is how you would have to break it down to someone if you were telling them something like this you know yeah so toby obviously like legitimately starts flipping out and richard right. Schiff does a great job of kind of just like He's trying his temple he's and trying staring. To, he's really trying to keep a good handle on it all. Uh, but then, but towards the end, tensions really start flaring. And, you know, they kind of start yelling at each other and stuff like that. But at least initially, he is trying to be... And what's funny is, later on, the president gets bad at him. He's like, you didn't even ask if I was okay. But you're like... And frankly, he, he did. Yeah, he, he does right away. He goes yeah. like, is it, <laughs> sorry, sir, is it fatal? And and yeah. the president goes, no. And, like, he, you know, there's, like, a big sigh of relief kind of thing. Of like, Which is like that's To me, that is asking, are you okay? Kind of. Yes, and I, I actually like this, and I specifically mentioned it because it's like... It can be read either way. Asking whether it's fatal can be interpreted as like legitimate concern for his health. It can also be concerned, like just read as concern for succession, yeah, succession to the presidency and the impact on the administration. Uh, so I guess that's the real great... tension between the two here yeah. is that Bartlett views all of Toby's questions as the as political concerns and not personal concern. Whereas I, I think if you take a more charitable viewing of it, it, there's obviously a lot of personal concern mixed in from Toby there, uh, you know, and I think that's e- easy. Richard Schiff's performance does a great job of, of conveying that it does feel very personal for Toby uh, because this is a man that he respects very deeply. And I, I said, One. this is like some president dad stuff, but in a good, subtler way. Not, not in like the, I am the patriarch, but like, Hey, this is a man who I respect, you know, and and he's going through and he's going through a rough time and I want to be there for him. It's and also I wrote this down. It's actually it's one of the compelling like procedural conflicts in mm-hmm. the series because I think you just you just kind of laid this out is that Toby's character is driven to a large degree by the fact that he is principled to just a insane level that makes his politics incredibly shitty sometimes like we've seen it in times before with like his interaction with the homeless veterans um in the camp in dc and and some other times where he's just just like you're a tremendous asshole so there's some inconsistency in his politics but in his character portrayal this is like this is the biggest possible conflict for Toby Ziegler right. to go through. He is wigging the fuck out right. because he is a constitutional goober. Right. Like he is so, principled right. so he's, to that degree. He gets the most upset about the fact that that there's this basically crisis of succession happening. And he, he ties it back to the shooting, which funny enough we mentioned earlier, when the president didn't technically sign over authority to the vice president while he was under general anesthesia for an hour or whatever while they were digging the bullet out or patching him up or or what have you and you know as the president correctly points out i don't i don't think i got shot because i have ms so like it's kind of it's kind of toby is choosing this thing to freak out on because he kind of needs to freak out in this moment is the way i read it and and he like you said he is so principled so he goes to this idea of like we had a coup d'etat in this country because you didn't sign a fucking letter and we should have a fucking letter on record. But if we had one, then people would be asking, why do you have a fucking letter on record? <laughs> like, Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the fundamental conflict is that the lack of disclosure right. or the necessity of lack of disclosure basically precludes any of the steps that, you know, Leo and the president have taken right. to sort of yeah, and hedge they, against this from Yeah, walking. and they have all these great lines about no one lied, no one was asked to lie. Yeah. It's like, dude, <laughs> dude, do you fucking get it? Like, that's not, that's not going <laughs> to fucking hold water at all. Yeah. Well, and that's, like, again, uh, to- you can Toby's tell correct. That like, he's right. Le- both Leo and the president are kind of, like, fooling themselves with, like, oh, no, this will be totally easy. Well, like, we'll, uh, we got this handled. Like, and, like, Leo and uh, Toby has to be the one to kind of break in with a dose of reality and be like, no, you fucking don't. <laughs> this is going to be a total fucking shit show. And it's, it's also funny because they su- very subtly bring in the idea that um, Dr. Bartlett, the president's yes. wife, has been the one 
treating him and frankly yes. like even even That's outside of the ethical constraints of problem like, right there like, it, it's like toby is wigging out about the ethics of medicine as well right. as of politics. like <laughs> yeah she's gonna lose her license for that for sure like that kind of thing and like you know <laughs> the president's being treated by a doctor that the media hasn't been aware of and like that whole thing and yeah, like One. basically, Toby is just like whole is the whole time is just going like holy fucking shit, you guys. Do you realize the problem we're in? And then both Leo and the president are trying to be like, it's fine, though, it's fine. And the only so the only objection that I have to the entire sort of arc of this conflict is that like Toby spends a whole lot of words on the like um, the imperial aspects. Of the political decisions, right. his his go to example for the potential crisis Correct. that was caused is the India Pakistan border conflict that, that unfolded that was at the beginning by of the season. Lord John Marbury giving them some yes. infrastructure or, or what have you. Well, and so he he spends a whole lot of words on like, well, the military command and the actions of these other countries that, frankly. We shouldn't have anything fuck to fucking do with. Right. Well, is like his, if the president's knocked out, how can we have stuff to do? Well, with it's him? not even the knocked out thing. He's concerned about like, where is it possible you could be having an MS attack where your executive function, your cognitive function, is being impacted, and you're in the situation room making decisions, and no one else will know that you're having an attack but you. Like that's his yeah. nightmare scenario, essentially. Yeah. And I mean, uh, of course, that's like that's like the normal for right. America world police here. Right. But, um, um, but, you know, and, and they just keep trying to reassure him like, hey, Leo's in the room with him. Fitz is in the room with him. The Joint Chiefs are in the room. If he starts like Reaganing out and going like, let's bomb Agrabah, you know, <laughs> the men, these men who have sense will will tell him, Mr. President, I think you're having a fucking brain attack <laughs> or like the, i guess that that's basically what leo's argument is is like ah don't worry we'll we'll slap some sense into him if he starts <laughs> braining out too hard well and frankly it speaks to the opposite side of the it um it it kind of mitigates against further disclosure because then everybody in the administration will start to second guess his right. judgment absolutely and it leaves that door open for second guessing so there's a it's it's actually all of this interaction is extremely good. Like it's all the, good. the performance yeah. is good. The writing is excellent. Um, and again, it closes with this interaction between the three of them again. And Toby's like heading out the door to go help the correspondence dinner writers. And he says, uh, sir, it's actually 17 people, not 16 people who know about your diagnosis. And the president sort of like looks up. And then I was very confused. Like, <laughs> There, there's a lot of dolly zooms and like swelling emotional music that's happening at this point right. to make it seem really significant. But it's like <laughs> Toby is just fucking being Toby and being like, uh, uh, technically, <laughs> sir, I, bl- I believe that you are a person. And so therefore you are the 17th. And, Toby, and like, Toby is applying oh. to be bureaucrat level one here. The most technically <laughs> yeah. correct. The best <laughs> possible like, kind of correct. Yeah. It's, and it's it's like I don't it's, fucking it's, get what's supposed to be significant about that at all. Like, okay, we just spent all this actually really good television on being like here is President Bartlett at his most person. Right, his like, most this vulnerable is the most person. Yeah, he's been. this is he's hidden his giant secret. He just told Toby. Toby is dealing with the implications of the fact that A, he's been lied to for this many years, and B, the entire American people have been lied to for this many years. And, like, he's dealing with all of this, and this is your big, profound moment to end it all on, is that, um, Mr. President, you are technically a person involved in this conspiracy as well. <laughs> Which, if that's if that's sort of, like, if that's what you read as the point, cool, that's fine. Like, yes, you are, I think that's I think explicit. that's what they're going for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is like, like he's, that. like, being like, look, you're, you're at the heart of all of this, sir, and that is the problem here. I think that's what yeah, he's trying like to that. say, but he just does it in a very inelegant, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> numbers fuckstein technically correct kind of way of like, sir, you are a person. <laughs> I, I believe, like, uh, you miscounted. Uh, um, you are a meat sack made yeah. of carbon <laughs> that, that breathes oxygen. 
yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that kind of wraps this up. Um, do you have any, any, it's real good. Yeah. Like this is something that this is an episode I would actually legitimately recommend people watch for half of <laughs> yeah i was about to say about i would until we get to and this <laughs> yeah. is a perfect transition point the second half of this episode <laughs> just what is happening to All right, so I'd like to put a brief disclaimer in the field before we begin this segment. Um, neither Dave nor I identify as female. Correct. Currently. And I also don't really, I mean, frankly, I don't buy into the uh, sex and gender stereotypes that, you know, every fucking Hollywood show and television show embraces. So with that out the gate, let's talk about sexism in this fucking episode <laughs> and gender dynamics and Holy so, ma- shit. so many other things so to, to recap quickly uh so basically the problem is and i think sam is the first to discover it the uh the president's white house correspondence dinner speech sucks and is not funny uh and they they need to rewrite it and make it funny so sam goes around gathering up people who are still around it's it's implied to be a late night possibly a weekend night again people are dressed in their casual sweater mm-hmm. and jeans combos letting us know that it is not the typical working hours uh when these people are always 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 in suits um so uh sam goes around and gathers up josh and donna and ainsley ed and larry are there he's like oh, i'll get us all some chinese food we'll gather around a conference table we'll have fun and we'll just punch up a bunch of these jokes you guys make some funny <laughs> no funny problem. make it's the easy, haha right? happen so easy yeah. i'm a professional speechwriter. that's basically the same thing as a comedian um this scene offends me on several levels before we even get into the sexism bit just on the comedy bit alone because every single fucking quote-unquote punched up joke they throw out is god awful (laughs) they're all terrible and it's not funny at all to be fair donna is there calling them out as they do it (laughs) and after every single one she's like ah time to write another the audience is asleep joke that we're totally going to need (laughs) and to be fair her jokes are the only ones that are even coming close to being funny uh, yep. So I just want to get that out of the way. And also I want to take on a little mini rant here. So for anyone who's watched Studio 60 and the Sunset Strip, Sorkin's show after the West Wing, uh, which was about the uh, fictional writing of an SNL type show that only lasted about one season on NBC, whereas 30 Rock, which is also about the exact same premise, lasted seven seasons on NBC uh, and is a very funny and successful show overall. Uh, And the reason why is that 30 Rock realized make the actual show within the show a fucking joke like make a joke out of how stupid it is like you can't take it seriously within the fictional correct so you know in 30 rock when they're like okay we need to show a sketch of the show within the show uh, you know the girly show tgs they would be like tracy tracy jordan being like i'm fart doctor it's just like you know it's perfect because you smash cut to it for five seconds you get the idea you laugh and you move on whereas studio 60 was like no 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 don't you get it this show is important and it, it's comedy has purpose and and, and, meaning, and is topical and, and, and like, political uh, power to it. And so they would try to write these sketches that they thought were good and they would be awful every single time. And even worse, because, you know, the show thought it was really nailing it. And like, whereas 30 Rock realized what a fucking joke it was being. And it's just, it just comes down to self-awareness. And so uh, to all the whole point of this rant is Sorkin can be funny and we've talked about that, how there have been very humorous moments in various other episodes. And he can be funny, but not when he wants to be. Not when he's, like, trying to be funny. Not when he's like, ha-ha, I'm delivered. gonna write a funny scene. Like, that never works. He's not good it's at always, that. 
it's often carried on the backs of the actor's performance Bingo. or like working yes. with the script that they're given. Yes, or they improv something or something like that. He's supposed to be famous for not allowing a lot of improv and being very exacting about the words. So I will give him some credit where credit's due. I think he's good at writing like a rhythm of a comedy setup, but it does come down to the way the actors deliver it really kind of makes the makes the punch land, uh, so yeah. to speak. Um, so he, yeah, he gets very minimal credit and basically zero credit for trying to be intentionally funny. Um, so uh, that that all said, now we can get into the, the gender dynamics of what's going on here. Ugh. Man. So this part of the street sweeper is it sets up basically two couples to, to bounce off each other yes. for this part of the episode. Josh and Donna are introed on a thing where Josh comes into the office and is like, did you happen to get a present today? And it's like, is is asking Donna about whether she received these these flowers. This could have been out of her. Mad Men, like this whole yeah. this whole bit. Like it's oh my like, god, it's super gross. And they go in, they go into this sort of back and forth joshing, <laughs> joshing where where Donna is just like, yes, and you're kind of a jerk, right? Like, what the fuck? Leave me alone. And Josh is just pressing her and pressing her on this shit. And eventually they go to this comedy writing thing and it's incumbent upon sort of Sam to finally just make it explicit that it's like, hey, um, Ainsley asks what uh, like, oh, yeah, because Ainsley's like, hey, I saw those flowers on your desk. They're really nice. What were they for, Donna? And and that, of course, gets Josh going into like his argument mode again, <laughs> because the, the whole what are they for is the crux of the argument, which, as Sam spells out, it's their like work anniversary uh, of like when she started to come to work for Josh, and so he always buys her flowers. Except Josh keeps getting the date wrong uh, because she actually started working for him two months before. But he celebrates this one because there was, there was a two month span where she quit the job to go Ooh. back to her ex boyfriend, <laughs> yeah. uh, and so he doesn't consider like when she first started working for him to be the quote unquote real anniversary. And she finds this incredibly insulting uh, and and offensive. That he has to do this whole stupid thing over it instead maybe, of just celebrating maybe, the normal date. Maybe because it is. Yeah, it is and it fucking is. incredibly offensive. Right, it's like, and the what the fuck? Yeah, and the show it's like keeps pathologically framing pathologically offensive. The show keeps framing it in this very gross way of like, no, no, she left Josh for her boyfriend, but then she left her boyfriend to come back to Josh. Like, not to come work for Josh, to come back to Josh. Like, wink, wink, you know what we're saying here. Like, it's all framed under, like, and there were big romantic rivals, and, like, and Josh, like, down talks her boyfriend. He's like, that guy was a jerk, and, like... And he uh, really screwed up, or whatever, and... He didn't so, know what a good thing he had going, <laughs> but now I have you. This tension has been has been evident for most of the show, but it's just... More so in the second season, but yes. Yeah, and it's hilariously inappropriate because this particular episode takes it from being like an obtuse, jokey, sort of in-the-background thing right. to an explicit and somewhat threatening tone. Absolutely. Where it's like, this is extremely uncomfortable. And not only that, the whole thing wraps up at the end with sort of this thing where Donna becomes... It like backtracks and becomes a little bit more, uh, God, I don't want to say it, but submissive. Yes. Again. And it's like, no, you are the only, like, thank you for not making fun of me. Right. And thanks for taking me job. back. And like, and she constantly, <sighs> she has to be the one who ends up like thanking him at the end instead of like him apologizing for being an ass what? about the date of their, of their work anniversary. Which, which strikes me as like, this is, this is abuse victim 101. Right. Like, it is, that that's perpetuating this fucking cycle because she also says like, you know, the thanks for not making fun of me thing. He's always made fun of her constantly. He's never stops making fun of her all the time. And it wraps with this thing where she actually like reciprocates when they're telling right. the story. And Josh is like, man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stop for a beer. Like if you got hurt and she kind of just like shyly goes, shit, I wouldn't stop for red lights. Right. And this is like, a famous, like, uh, ship moment for the people who celebrate the Donna Josh ship. And I assure you, they exist, and they're on Twitter, and they probably have a donut <laughs> in their handle. It is it is a, a well-crafted, well, 
crafted delivery in the worst fucking context possible. Right. Like it is touching and very like right. th- that is and emotional. It does, it does make it so much more explicit that like, oh, they have a romance here. Like they're they care for each other. Like yeah. that that is explicitly what that moment is trying to say. Uh, you know, she the way she you know looks at him in that moment. It's very clear what the writers are, and the actors are trying to express here. Uh, oh, and but again, it's like this is it's it's it could be beautiful if it was delivered sure in any other it context. Could, you just frame this around something else. Like just make Josh not an asshole. Like there's no mm-hmm. need for this. Like you can fill that couple of minutes with something else. Uh, although, based on what the rest of this subplot is about, I don't think they would have yes. filled it with anything too it's, great. <laughs> it's time to make that transition because, who boy, the Sam and Ainsley side of this fucking garbage right. part of the episode. So, he, he, so for, to set this up, Sam goes off to find Ainsley to invite her to the punch-up thing. Uh, he, we get a nice shot of the stream, steampunk, sorry, not steampunk, steam <laughs> trunk pipe distribution venue aka Ainsley's office um I I do like this thing she does where Sam is walking down and as soon as he gets into the hallway he starts shouting like Ainsley Ainsley and she just doesn't respond and then the second he walks into her office is like hey Ainsley I was shouting and she's like yep I heard you and he's like you didn't respond she's like that's because you were being rude and shouting I want to I want to put this joke on on track before I forget about it because the steampunk pipe distribution thing is Dragon Con. It's yeah. just Dragon Con. Yeah, just a bunch Let's of ge- some bunch pipe of gears and Con, shit baby. tacked on to the to the Ainsley's desk and she's wearing a big old top hat with a bunch of like gears and a monocle. <laughs> um so he goes to dig her up, and he's like, hey, you should come over, and we're getting Chinese food and everything. Uh, by the by, this particular we're getting Chinese food thing is why Cal Penn thought that he could order Chinese food when he went to go work for the White House under the Obama administration and was quickly told, like, no, you fucking idiot, we can't order Chinese food. Yeah, like, like, fuck off. They can't get through security? What are you talking about? <laughs> he's like, but they yeah. do it all the time on West Wing. Uh, so he's like, yeah, we're getting Chinese food. And she's like, oh, cool. I'm heading back to my alma mater, Smith College, in a couple of days. Uh, for And he's like, oh, cool. Are you in, like, an award or is it a reunion or something? She's like, no, I'm going on a panel uh, to talk about the Equal Rights Amendment. And he's like, oh, man, uh, good for you. You know, there's something like 40% of women that are anti-Equal Rights Amendment. I'd love to meet one of them. And she's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm Ainsley Hayes. Nice to meet you. And extends Setting her it hand. up and knocking it down, baby. <laughs> and, and, and of course, and this, this gets us into our Sam and Ainsley plot, which is Sam is, of course, blown away by this, uh, in my mind, rightfully so. Uh, and then they get into a pro and con as to why the Equal Rights Amendment is a good or bad idea. And man, does it go some places. Who? So I just want to put a historical context on this. Yeah, thing. I was going to dig um, into it a little too. So go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah. Cool. I just want to say, like, the original ERA was written and introduced in, like, the 20s? Correct. Who I did not know this yeah, before yeah. I started looking me, into me it. Me neither. I, I had a very instructional Wikipedia dive about the <laughs> yeah. Amendment. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, it's basically been out and around and it was approved in the senate in the 70s correct and the thing is with the constitution it originally had a ratification deadline of march 22nd 1979 okay and that's for all states to sign off on to it. to either sign or not correct yes so we all see where it's gotten since then yeah uh nowhere pretty much nowhere <laughs> uh, um so I don't actually know what the text is, but basically, um, actually, here it is. Thanks, Wiki. So the text of the Equal Rights Amendment says, quote, it's very short. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex, period. Section two, the Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article, period. Section three. This amendment shall take effect two years after the date of ratification. So 
The deadline was 1979. It would have taken effect if they had hit it in 1981 at the beginning of the Reagan administration. Correct. And uh, so basically through 1977, the amendment received 35 of the necessary 38 state ratifications. Uh, As of right now, it's up to 37 uh, with Illinois having... (laughs) Because of course it is. With Illinois having ratified it as late as May 30th, 2018. Um, Yeah. And then Nevada was 36 back in 2017, and before then, uh, there wasn't movement on it since 1977, when Indiana was the 35th state to ratify it. So we are currently one state away from uh, having this ratified, uh, and we will probably stay that way for God knows how long to come. Until the seas claim us all, frankly. Um, so, so let's get this, into Ainsley's anti-ERA argument, because it's crazy. I have a clip from the show that essentially wraps up her argument. I'll play it here. Sam, if men were biologically responsible for procreation, they'd fall down and die at the first sonogram. If the amendment's redundant, then what's your problem if it's passed or not? Because I'm a Republican, have we met? I believe that every time the federal government hands down a new law, it leaves for the rest of us a little less freedom. So I say, let's just stick to the ones we absolutely need in order to have water come out of the faucet and our cars not stolen. That is my problem with passing a redundant law. This is... <laughs> oh boy. Okay, so first off, I want to point out, Aaron Sorkin is the sole and only writer of this episode. And it's so interesting that when we get these ones that have, like, some of the craziest fucking garbage shit I've ever seen, that he is the sole writer on those episodes. So I just want... I will point that out, because we're gonna... Eventually, we'll get into the post-Sorkin years, and that's all shit, too. But Sorkin is shit in a very unique way. And this sort of straw feminist argument where he thinks he's being very clever is so Sorkin. Like, this is Sorkin to his core. It is the redundancy argument is fucking ridiculous. It's insane! I get the... the, And here's the other thing. This is just a way to to have an argument about literally anything and just be able to write off any law you want of like, no, but uh, why do we need so many damn laws? And to be fair, she is a Republican. And like, I think the episode kind of keeps forgetting to like mention that as loudly as it needs to be. And so she's she's a real shitty Republican. (laughs) Like, well, they explicitly do Coulter as like being on the side of her panel at Smith college. Like, Oh, Ann Coulter's going to be there backing me up. Like, well, like, they, they explicitly make her make the point of, I am a Republican, and so law is bad. And, like, right. to <laughs> I'm, I'm not even upset about tokenizing Republicans, but this is fucking tokenizing Republicans. Like, oh, well, you know, the definition of a Republican is such that I believe law is bad. They all, they all law bad. <laughs> it's like, that's not what, true. What the If, if the law is a mean? tax cut, you fucking love it. Like... <laughs> Well, and what do you what do you mean? Make a law for somebody else? Fuck you! Like this is a law about you. You can like it or lump it, right? But what do you what do you even I, mean? Make a law for someone else? It's just like, insane to me because, like, again, you know, we're uh, neither Stu and I are women here, but I will trade on the little bit of identity politics I do have and say, say if I, I'm Jewish, if if obviously I have equal rights under the law because of like the first amendment and separation of church and state and 14th amendment. And like she says, and blah, 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 blah. But if after world war two, the U S had made a law saying like, Hey, also we're not going to throw Jews in concentration camps ever. I would be like, that's cool. We should probably have that law too. You know, like I wouldn't be saying, Oh, why do I need that? It's so redundant. I'm already covered under the fucking 14th amendment. Am I Am I more offended by the fact that there are extra words in a document or by the fact that I have no explicit protection against the Nazi death squad? Right. What the fuck? And just like, you know, fucking, you know, he brings up, you know, not equal pay and she dismisses it with the straw argument of like, no, women choose to have kids. And like, ah, and even Sam is like, no, they don't fucking choose to be financially punished for having kids. Are you And he also, to his... To his credit, he says, if you guys had your way, they wouldn't choose to have kids, which, like, point for right. Sam and yeah. okay, good, yeah. smart Sam does there. actually a great <laughs> job of picking apart most of her bullshit, uh, but unfortunately, at the very end, when she gets her crowning, you know, redundancy argument, he just kind of lamely says, like, I could have countered that, but I had moved on to different things in my head. 
Uh, and then we never we don't we don't she walks off and we don't hear about it anymore. Right, and it's she like, gets she gets the thing she gets the big triumphant thing of like, and I'm going back down to the mess because I saw a peach, and it's like this cute like I won the argument kind of character moment. Like, well, and this is I mean this is actually so 2019 it hurts like, yeah you you weren't in de facto you are not equal you're not and you clearly were not before. You fucking dunce. Right. You just spent time talking with Sam about how you're getting paid less. So how is the status quo working for you? Right. Huh? No, how but, is the status quo working for any of us at this point? Right. But like, and, without these being explicit. Right. I. <laughs> it's just, it's insane. And the, the idea of like redundant, it, it, this kind of goes back to that bureaucratic waste argument for like, you know, oh, there's just too many laws. And if we cut out like, X percent of the laws, everything would just run a lot smoother, you know, like, and, and it's, it's a conservative bullshit argument. To, to me, it comes down to, okay, I could, I could very, very obtusely understand an argument that a explicit mention of a given gender or sexuality is, could be considered patronizing that you need to do so. However, again, the humiliation argument be, was was the only bit that kind of st- struck with me emotionally. Like, yes. Am, am I going to be more again? Am I going to be upset about being patronized to or am I going to be upset when I'm charged for manslaughter or even murder in Mississippi if I have a miscarriage? Right. Ex- exactly. What, it, like, what is the what is the worse outcome here? Because let me tell you, one of those is actually happening. Right. One of those is happening currently. Yeah. That's that's the thing. Ainsley's fears, like, her worst-case scenario is, oh, no, there's an extra law in the books. Oh, no. You know, whereas the opposite worst-case scenario is some people are treated less equally because a law isn't on the books. Like, that's that's bad for society. Right there. That yeah. has actual harmful outcomes for society. As opposed to just, oh no, we increased the word count in the Constitution a little <laughs> too much, and now, and now it's it's uh, we have to print out an extra page. Sorry, everyone. And I think it's also self defeating because at the end of the day, there is a certain subsection of women who, let's be clear, make up fifty one percent of the population of the country. Yes, there's a certain subsection of women who may feel like they are being patronized or condescended to by the patriarchy for having their rights explicitly enumerated in this way. However, the alternative is that that 51%, the entire cadre is treated as second class citizens, which is the status quo currently. Right. So, and I'd like to point out for the record that in the actual opposition to the equal rights amendment that exists, which is headed by people like Phyllis Shafley, who uh, Sam does name drop in the episode uh, and compares Ainsley to, uh, which I do appreciate. Uh, n- <laughs> none of them do this dumb redundancy argument. This is a Sorkin special that he whipped up. You know, their arguments come from the idea of like, oh, you know, they focus on that men do the fighting in wartime, and therefore, if we had an equal rights amendment, women could be drafted, and that's bad, or something like that. Which, you know, that's more of an argument. I don't, you know, I don't concur with it. I mean, I don't think we should have a draft regardless, but, you know, that's a different thing. But, like, that's an actual argument, whereas this redundancy slash humiliation argument by Ainsley isn't even an argument used by the actual opposition to the ERA. It's just some Sorkin bullshit he whipped up to sound smart. <laughs> well, and, and in a materialist analysis, again, it's, uh, are your feel and God, I feel like fucking Ben Shapiro. <laughs> are your, what's worse, your feelings are going to get hurt and you're going to feel oppressed in a way that you don't currently do or are you going to die or right. are you going to get hurt right or are or you going to locked up like lose your family yeah or whatever the whatever the outcome of the current oppressive regime is that is clearly and demonstrably worse than having this enumerated and it could be generalized to a shitload of things in the united states today right. like yeah look Look how it worked out with the Fourteenth Amendment that she yeah mentions. exactly you know we're, we're, we have a, we, we already sure have second have, class citizens we sure do have equality for everyone all the time constantly <laughs> yeah. just swimming in equality over here everyone Whew. 
So, so that is the, uh, okay. the, the we've gone long side on this, of this episode. But there was a lot to unpack just in this what is supposed to be a comedy subplot distraction from the heavy shit that's going on uh, ends up being the really bad shit that we actually have to unpack a lot. Uh, I thought I find that funny. Um, so let's let's take a, f- a final break here and then we'll wrap up and uh, and talk about next week's episode. Okay, and thanks again for joining us on this fun episode of More Like the Worst Wing. Uh, we always appreciate any listener feedback. Feel free to drop us a comment in our thread. Uh, find us on Twitter, on SoundCloud. You can email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, and next week's episode, or whenever we get around to it, but I'm shooting for next week, uh, is entitled Bad Moon Rising, um, and in deals where you just smack goes straight on with the MS stuff, uh, where we get introduced to Chief Counsel Oliver Babish, uh, played by Oliver Platt, um, and I swear that they probably just named them the first name the same to make, to make it, it easier, easier on, the, on Oliver <laughs> Platt, because uh, that seems like the kind of move they would do. It's uh, thoughtful of them. And also, we get a kind of payoff to something that got set up in an earlier episode with Sam's old job at Gage, the Gage Whitney Law Firm, mm. where he provided insurance coverage for these shitty old oil tankers, but encouraged the company buying them, hey, you should buy newer, more modern oil tankers, because these ones have bad navigation systems and are probably going to crash one day. Well, that day has come, uh, <laughs> and one of these oil tankers does indeed crash. Uh, and causes a big, big oil spill that the uh, administration now has to deal with. A payoff um, in the West Wing? No way. I know, right? <laughs> it's it's rare, but we do get them. And I do remember this one actually being pretty good uh, as far as keeping things interesting. Um, meanwhile, uh, something with Josh and Donna and the Mexican economy, For something God's with sake. Toby... And CJ and a leaker uh, within the press corps, so we'll get some... Yeah, CJ, by the way, completely absent Totally absent. Did not get Uh, one second of screen time. Not a second of CJ, which was weird. Um, Her absence was felt, uh, so it'll be good to have her back. And uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to discussing that one next week uh, with you, Stu. Yeah, and we will talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. But don't ask me to come on along So love me, love me, love me I'm a little